0: Welcome to the Sudden History Wrestling Podcast. My name is Earl Smith, and I'll be your host. I thank you for joining us on the second episode of Sudden History. If you listened to the first episode, you heard me tell a story about my ill-advised first attempt at podcasting. I only had one episode, so this is going to be a personal best for me. I guess if I was a swimmer or... Track athlete, um, you you could say that was a PB for me. If you ever want to get a hold of me for constructive criticism, feedback, even a good job, you can reach me at Earl at d one wrestling dot net. I'm on Twitter at D1CW. I've also made a Twitter account for the Sutton History Podcast. It's conveniently called at Sudden History. If you follow that account, you're going to get some inside information about upcoming shows, guests, and maybe some little tidbits of information and so forth. Um, Something I wanted to talk about on the first show I forgot about. It's the D1CW Video Vault on YouTube. Very easy to find. You can look up My Name Earl Smith or D1CW. I just want people to see these matches. There is no money going in my pocket because of this. I just wanted to put matches on YouTube that were previously not found anywhere on the web. Uh, most of them come from the mid to early 2000s. There are a couple from the 1990s I have out there. There's actually a couple of matches I discussed on the first show. Um, The Jake Percival-Mike Zadik match, which I erroneously stated was a tech fall. It was actually 18-4 major decision for Percival. There's also the crazy Chris Fleeger-Mac Ryder match up there. Um, Some insight as to why I started doing this. I'm working on a separate project which I'll discuss at a later date but in doing so I was interviewing Jake Herbert I asked Jake about the 2006 Big Ten finals in which he pinned Mark Perry Jake gives me a good Jake Herbert style answer and says it was his birthday and he got to pin Mark Perry and make an Iowa guy cry on his birthday Um, and then he said man I've been looking for that match for years I'd love to see that so I said to him I said Jake well you're actually talking to somebody who watched the match yesterday doing research so he, he was excited he asked if I could get that to him somehow and I I sent it to him he was very happy he uh, sent me a text saying how he had a bounty out for that match a hundred dollar bounty he had uh tried to find it with a flow wrestling guy and a bunch of other people and nobody could get it for him and the hundred dollars was mine i said jake i can't do that it's not necessarily my footage to sell and i mean it's your match i'm not gonna sell it to you but you know if you want to throw in a double egg ninja shirt that's cool so about a week later coincidentally on my birthday i get a package with a double egg ninja shirt and a little note from Jake and he said you're sitting on a gold mine Earl you need to do something with these videos that you have and uh, then he also said if you're watching the video check out the shot right before they're going to commercials you see my dad with a video camera in the crowd WTF so again check it out Um, I think there's some pretty cool videos on there um, I'm going to pick up where I left off on the first episode on my list of the best wrestlers from the 2000s not to win an NCA title. Um, a little refresher on the process, I started with about 40 guys, analyzed their entire career, their every win and loss that they had, who it was to, what those guys ended up doing, Uh, their placement at conference, NCAA tournaments, so forth. I put a case for the guy, against the guy. If I had more, he moved forward. If not, he was cut out. Um, Who's eligible? It's going to be just guys that wrestled D1 and those select few guys that had better freestyle and Greco careers than collegiate careers, those guys aren't going to be eligible. A quick rundown of my first eight, Brian Snyder, Ryan Lewis, Tyrone Lewis, Jake Percival, John Trenge, Chris Flieger, Nick Simmons, Sam Hayswinkle. So now that we have that out of the way, we're going to get to the main portion. That's going to be the final seven guys on this list. The first guy is the doctor, Eric Tannenbaum. He graduated from med school at Michigan in 2012. Always gave me the vibe of a very cerebral guy. Uh, Very good from his feet. He was a four-time All-American from Michigan, going fourth-sixth, fourth-second. He had a 125-22 career record. Two time Big Ten champ, he bookended those titles, winning one as a freshman and senior. He had two wins against Mark Perry, one in each of his NCAA title seasons, beat him in a dual meet as a junior, and then in the Big Ten finals as a senior. That season, 2008, Tannenbaum got the number one seed at Nationals. His senior year, he finished as a runner up to Perry. During that season, he defeated Perry, the champion, Nick Marrable, the third place finisher, Mac Lunas, the fourth place finisher, and Mosa Faye, he actually beat twice, and he was the fifth place finisher. In a little bit, I'm going to drop a similar stat, which I think is even more impressive, but beating those four guys, pretty, pretty darn solid. Twelve of Tannenbaum's 22 losses came to guys who finished in the top three of their weight class that season. And as a freshman, he had two wins over Ben Charrington in Las Vegas. Charrington went on to be an NCAA champion the next season up at 157. And Michigan always goes to the Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational Well, Tannenbaum won that tournament twice. If you want to look at some of the negatives I have for him, um, he had a bit of a sophomore slump. 11 of 22 career losses were his sophomore season. Now, I have not spoke to Tannenbaum, but me trying to read between the lines, I'm going to attribute that to a bad weight cut or a gross spurt or however you want to interpret that. That was his second season at 149 next year, jumps all the way up to 160, 165. So that season, 2006, he had no wins over eventual top five finishers at the NCAA tournament. Um, he had a loss to Trevor Stewart of Central Michigan in a dual meet, and aside from that sophomore year, all other losses were to all Americans so that was kind of an outlier but you know Stewart was around a 12 guy so you know he was he was quality Um, 22 career losses uh... not a bad number but sorta high for this list next guy I'm gonna go on to is Mike Poeta of Illinois he finished his career at 157 in 2009 Poeta was excellent from his feet, uh, quick shots, quick finishes, um, I'm debating, I have a really, really politically incorrect little quote that I was given about Poeta, I may tell at a later date, I think it's kind of funny and describes him well, but I'm not sure whether I should say it, um, (laughs) Moving on to his career record, 105-14. in Three-time All-American going third, second, and second. Poto is a two-time Big Ten champ. He twice won the Midlands. That sophomore season, he won the Midlands over the eventual NCAA champion, Trent Paulson of Iowa State. That is actually a match that I have on the D1CW Video Vault. I would check it out that really illustrates how good he was on his feet in that match. His senior year, he had an incredibly top-heavy weight class. Um, he he was in the weight, obviously, with uh, also Jordan Burroughs, Jordan Lean, and Gregor Gillespie. Those are your top four Cs at Nationals. His senior year, he was undefeated coming into Nationals, but was the two-seed because Burroughs was also undefeated. His senior year, he beat the returning NCAA champion Jordan Lean in the NCAA semis. His junior year, he defeated Gregor Gillespie, who was a returning NCAA champion in Vegas. His junior year, he had three victories over the eventual third-place finisher, Dan Valamont of Penn State. He also had beat the returning runner-up at 157 pounds Craig Henning twice. Now, if you remember, that was the year where Henning did not qualify for the national tournament due to those crazy qualifier rules at the time, the Big Ten. Needless to say, if Henning would have wrestled, probably would have been a high finisher, and uh, those wins would have looked even better for Poeta. So out of his 14 career losses, seven came his freshman season while wrestling 165. He had wrestled up due to a senior Alex Tirapelli Manning 157. He made the round of 12 that freshman season you know essentially wrestling up a weight class. Um, The The evidence against Poeta, it's not very strong, but uh, the 2008 season, um, just the way things broke, um, he appeared to be a heavy favorite. Um, The other side of the NCAA bracket had number 8 Jordan Lean meeting number 12 Josh Supanzik of Stanford in the semis. He ended up seeing Lean in the finals and was upset. Um, his junior year, he had a bit of an outlier loss to Michigan's Jeff Marsh, 9-6. And all of his other losses, his uh, sophomore, junior, and senior seasons were to top six guys. Um, he, you know, if you want to hold it against him, he was a never a one seed. Um, he did his part his senior year going undefeated, but had Burroughs above him. Um, That senior year, he missed a large portion of the year due to injuries, probably would have had more good wins, and then just more wins total for his career if he had been able to compete. But, I mean, that's not something terrible to hold against him. Well, uh, speaking of Poeta, he was the number one recruit from the class of 2004. The next guy came from the high school class of 2005. He was one that uh, I wasn't doing recruiting rankings at the time. If I was, he probably would have slipped by me. Um, When I watch, or when I see other people make lists like this, his name doesn't always get put on there. I think it's a mistake, Um, and that's Craig Brester, Nebraska. He initially was recruited I don't even, you know, recruited, I don't know how strongly he was recruited, but he was a walk-on 174-pounder, and he wrestled as a 197-pounder all four years he actually competed. During those four years, he got a 109-21 and record, three-time All-American going fourth, second, and second. I had mentioned in the first show, I, like to have, you know, some sort of huge moment or big signature win. He had that with a 2009 Big 12 championship over Jake Varner. That loss was Varner's last collegiate loss. Brester was a four-time Big 12 finalist, one-time champ. That victory over Varner in 2009 gave him the one seed at Nationals. Now, here's a big number for his losses. Eight of his 21 career losses were to NCAA champions in a championship year. Six were to Varner. He also lost to Phil Davis in 2008 and Josh Glenn in 2007. He had four losses early in his career to Max Askren. I think it speaks kind of to his upward trajectory of his career that he actually was 2 and 0 against Askren in 2009. Askren was a guy who was very highly ranked as a recruit. He was a number 1 guy for a period of time his freshman season and you know eventually Brester passed him by kind of along those same lines. Look at Hudson Taylor. He lost to Taylor At Nationals in 2008, and then the next two seasons, he picked up a win against Taylor in each season without losing to him. And Taylor was another guy that had a great high school career and was a uh, highly sought-after recruit. Junior and senior seasons for Brester lost seven matches. However, only one of them was not to Jake Varner. That was a loss to Clayton Foster in 2009. Um, Foster is a stud, but at that point, he was actually not an All-American yet. Um, And then finally, Brester won Las Vegas two times. The other side for Brester: One in six career record against Jake Varner. Um, You know, that doesn't sound... Horrible considering it's Jake Varner, but uh, against studs, Varner usually had close matches. Only one time did he blow out Brester, that was 10 3 at national duels their junior year. Um, you figure if Varner's wrestling close, match, close matches, um, maybe Brester's able to steal another one or two of those. Um, he had 14 losses his first two seasons. Again, I don't think that's as a huge deal because, you know, how much he was improving. And uh, he did finish twice uh, as a runner-up in the Big 12 prior to Varner coming up to 197. Because if you remember, Varner was a 184-pounder their first two seasons. Also, the freshman year, um, Brester was a 7-seed but did not place at Nationals. He lost to JD Bergman by a fall in the round of 12. That was another one of those years where Bergman lost in the first round, then just stormed back, destroying everybody in the concies. My next guy is Lance Palmer of Ohio State. He finished his career in 2010. Palmer was just a physically imposing 149 pounder just brutally, brutally tough on top. Um, I'm actually going to do, I think I mentioned Nick Simmons' his evidence against him first. I'm going to do this with Palmer. It may seem strong at first, but the evidence for him is, uh, I I still think, better and uh, puts him on this list, though he may have been one of the last guys on the list for me. Um he had a one hundred and twenty-one and thirty-three record. That is definitely the most losses on this list. If you look at some of those losses his freshman year, he had one to Jermaine Thompson of Eastern Michigan in Vegas, Ryan Hurley of Cleveland State at the Michigan State Open, and then he lost twice to Aaron Martin of Chattanooga. that um, you know, is not as bad. Martin's a two-time, or not a two-time, one-time round, a 12 finisher. Um, Palmer had a lack of your big tournament wins. Um, the regular season tournaments, he was a two-time runner up in Vegas. Uh, Ohio State actually went to the scuffle one year, and he placed but uh, did not win um, his NCA final match. With Brent Metcalf was sort of anticlimactic. It uh, it was you know a very hyped up match, um, very highly anticipated, but uh, you know Metcalf took him down and rode him, and there just wasn't much to it. His career record against Metcalf is one in five, which is actually better than everybody except for Darian Caldwell. However, for me, um, looking at some of their early meetings, um, I always felt like Lance Palmer had a style which um, lent itself to possibly upsetting Metcalf. Um, I felt like he could ride him, he may be able to ride him out for a period uh, on their feet. He wasn't going to get bullied by Metcalf, he wasn't going to get pushed around, he wasn't going to get intimidated. So I had actually thought he might get another win or two against Metcalf. His senior year, he had also a loss to Kyle Ruchel, and Ruchel had given him trouble and uh, beat him in 2009 also. Not terrible. I mean, Ruchel is a two-time All-American, so there's no shame in that. But uh, that's another thing I, I dug up. Um, the case for him, he's a four-time All-American going 4th, 8th, 4th, and 2nd. Um, as I kind of alluded to, the big win over Brent Metcalf in the Big Ten Finals. Um, there was a little bit of a scramble. He came out on top, and uh, Metcalf did not bail out and caught him on his back, and it was a 9-3 win for Lance Palmer that win gave him the one seat at Nationals in 2010 and looking at the list of 15 guys that I have he is the only one that did not take a red shirt or gray shirt or some sort of a year off over the course of their career now that leads you to wonder what could have happened in 2011 had he taken a red shirt cuz he was 2-0 against Frank Molinero in 2010 and uh, Molinero was the runner-up that next season, 2011. He lost to Kyle Dake. That leads you to ask the question, could he have beaten Dake? And maybe that changes history a little bit. I don't know. The freshman year for Palmer, he had a win over the eventual NCAA runner-up, Josh Turella, 6-4 to four in a dual meet. Now he also had uh the honor pleasure however you want to call it of uh, wrestling and maybe the best weight class ever um i'm not sure if you want to go back and look years and years and years ago i don't know how to measure this out but from the time i've been following wrestling um I don't remember seeing a better weight class than 2008, so I have a little bit of leeway for his losses because he was just going every night against studs. Um, In that time period, he does have wins over Jordan Burroughs in Las Vegas, Bubba Jenkins at the National Duels, and then in the Ohio Geeks Dream match, he had pinned Dustin Schlater. So... Um, He did have some really good wins then. Um, 14 of his 33 losses came in his freshman year. Digging deeper into that. Nine of those losses came before the end of the 2006 calendar year. For me, that shows a mental toughness that he had. You'll see a lot of these freshmen that come in uh, with a lot of credentials and hyped up and they lose a couple matches early in the year, that throws off their entire season. Some guys, throws off their entire career. He's able to rebound, pull it together, get fourth that same season. I think that says something about Lance Palmer. Now, moving along, Mac Lunas of Cornell. He finished his career at 174 pounds, in 2011. He was very solid offensively and extremely difficult to take down. I'll share a little antidote from uh, Jordan Lean, his uh, teammate. Lean was a guy who moved up and weight his first three college seasons from 41 to 49 to 57. I had asked Lean if you know he considered uh, moving up his senior year and his response was, you know, yeah, I would have loved to, but uh, I would have been second string because you had Mac Lunas, and I was a returning NCAA champion, but uh, I could not score a takedown on Lunas. I don't think I scored one the entire year, so that would have been pretty hard for me to beat him if I couldn't take him down. So, Lean wrestled 57 again. Mac Lunas had a 150 and 12 career record. He was a three-time All-American going fourth, second, fourth. He was a three-time EIWA champion. In the 2000s, that's only been done by Cam Simas and Travis Lee. He, If you're looking at regular season placements, he was a three-time champion in Las Vegas. Only Ben Askren Andrew Howe, and now Nashawn Garrett have won three. Logan Stieber has won four. He also won the Southern Scuffle three times. In the history of the tournament, only Dustin Schlater, Roger Kish, Ben Askren, David Taylor, Ed Ruth, and now Gabe Dean and Alex Deeringer have won it three times. Kyle Dake and Cole Conrad won it four twice he entered the NCA championships as an undefeated number one seed that was in 2009 and 2010. I'll get into in a second the 2009 tournament but um, Lunas beat the guys who went and went on to finish first which was Jared King at the Southern scuffle second, Andrew Howe in Vegas, third, Ryan Morningstar at the National Duels, John Reeder, also at the National Duels, the fourth-place finisher, and then the fifth-place finisher was Andy Rendos, who he beat twice at Vegas and at the EIWAs. So while he had a disaster of a tournament, he beat the top five finishers, and that's something that... I, don't, I, I would like to see someone else who's done that. Um, nine of his career losses have come to guys that finished top three at their weight class that same season. Five of his career, five of the 12 career losses came his freshman season. Now, looking on the other side for Lunas, that 2009 tournament I alluded to, he went 0-2 oh as the top seed. Was he sick? Was he injured? I've, I've heard both but I don't know for a fact what it is. Um, I'd like to have Mac on the show. Uh, maybe we can ask him about that. I spoke to him on a couple occasions while he was competing. He was one of the nicest guys that I've dealt with so I'd imagine he'd come on and talk to us about it, and uh, he would definitely be a a fun guy to listen to. Um, His NCAA Finals in 2010 with Jay Borschel, he had come into the match without giving up a takedown all year, proceeds to give up a quick takedown, and then a bunch of riding time. 2011, his senior season, he is 0-2 against a freshman, Ed Ruth lost at the Scuffle, and then for third place at Nationals. Now, over time, Ruth went on to win three NCAA titles. It doesn't look that bad going 0-2 against Ed Ruth. However, you know, he was a senior. Ruth was a freshman. Um, That same NCAA tournament, he lost in the semis to the seven-seed Nick Muchastegui of Stanford, Um, That was around after uh, Amucha Stegi had beaten Ed Ruth in that famous uh, match where Ruth defaulted out. Um, So it it looked set up for Lunas to get into the finals, at least, uh, against John Reeder. Moving along to my next guy, that's Robert Hamlin, the Vermonster. Um, Hamlin is a very solid, consistent guy um, along the lines of Craig Brester. He rapidly improved. Um, he was a guy that probably wasn't highly thought of from a recruiting standpoint coming out of high school, but uh, he you know made his name known pretty quickly. He had a 107 and 22 career record. He was a three-time All-American, going second, fourth, and second. He twice defeated the eventual NCAA champion Quentin Wright in 2011. Steve Bosack 2012. He had a five and one career record against Steve Bosack and beat him twice for the EIWa championship. Twelve of those 22 career losses came as a freshman and he went from fourth in the EIWA and 0-2 at nationals as a freshman at 174 to the NCA finals in one season at 184. That's an impressive improvement. Hamlin won the Midlands, was twice a finalist, and was three times a top three seed at Nationals. Going second, second, and third. Now, if you want to look at uh, the case against him, the 2012 NCAA Championships, he lost to Quentin Wright, and then Bosack was in the finals, who beat Wright. Um, and I mentioned earlier that uh, he had a great record against Bosack. Um, So it was set up pretty good for him. Um, He also lost to Austin Trotman of Appalachian State in the third place match. That was when Trotman had that great run. Um, Six of his 12 losses as a freshman came to not all Americans. Um, Again, he improved so rapidly. That uh, I think you can kind of throw those out the window. Um, maybe you know what happened some of those big matches because you know th- there were guys that he had good records against that ended up winning NCAA titles, and then just his record—he um, has the lowest winning percentage out of um, my group, um, aside from Ryan Lewis. That was kind of a weird situation. Um and the last guy on the list, and uh you know this is a interesting one a lot of a lot of fun stuff associated with him, and that's Tyler Caldwell, who wrestled for Oklahoma and oklahoma state um Caldwell was great defensively, and it just by some of the guys he wrestled, he probably had just he had terrible luck on who he was matched up against. Um, he had a 126-29 career record, a four-time All-American going 5th, 2nd, 3rd, and 2nd. His best win was against Andrew Howe in the 2011 NCAA semis. Um, that's probably not going to be a match that you're going to see on the D1CW video vault because it wasn't very good, and it was one of those uh, that went to a bunch of rideouts. outs um, he did get the win, so uh, you know kudos to him for that. Um, I think I had mentioned before, I, I don't necessarily like to look at losses and give credit for losses in um, margin of loss because you know there's a lot of things that play into that, but 10 of his 29 career losses were to NCA champions in their title season. That number does not include three career losses to John Reeder in a non-title season. Um, 14 of his 29 losses came his freshman season. Each season he lost to the eventual NCAA champion at the tournament. And those guys are Andrew Howell, Jordan Burroughs, Kyle Dake, and David Taylor. Three times, the guy that beat him was the Hodge Trophy winner, and each of those guys finished that s- their seasons undefeated. He was an NCAA semifinalist Each season he competed, even as a freshman, when he came in unseeded, And I mentioned he lost to Jordan Burroughs in the NCAA finals. That year he also lost to him... In the big twelve finals, by a two to one margin, um, I don't like looking at those numbers like that, but you you will probably admit nobody else since has shut down Jordan Burroughs like that, and even that season, nobody shut him down like that. so you got to give him a little bit of credit for that. Three times he wrestled above his seat at Nationals, and as a senior, he wrestled up to it, getting seated second and finishing second. Um, the case against Caldwell, he had 13 of his 29 losses to non-All-Americans, and some of those guys, for instance, uh, Corey Lear of Bucknell, Alex Meade of Oklahoma State, Mike Galante of Lehigh um, the 29 losses overall is a pretty high number and just I guess his style uh, very defensive uh, kind of led himself uh, uh, lend himself to getting into these close matches and you know possibly getting upset um, he also had a lack of big tournament wins um, he was second and third at the Southern scuffle. However, those two losses uh, were both to David Taylor. So however you want to look at that, um, over the course of his career, he'd never beat anybody who was an NCA finalist in the season. And so that's all I have. That's my list. Um, I'd love to hear feedback. Um, have I left anyone off this list who deserves to be on it is there somebody who's on the list that you don't like again send me an email earl at d1collegewrestling.net you can hit me up on twitter at d1cw or even the sudden history twitter which is sudden history Um, that's it for the second episode Uh, we're going to have a guest for the third episode. You don't have to listen to me talking the whole time. We're going to have somebody who's really interesting. I'm not going to give it away now. I may mention on the Sudden History Twitter account, but uh, it's going to be a good one. So I thank you for joining us on the second episode and uh, tune in next time.